Do you have any social responsibility? That is the topic of today's discussion. And the answer simply is no. You don't have any social responsibility. Podcast over. Bye-bye. That doesn't mean... <laughs> Welcome to the Scottish Liberty Podcast, episode 116. Do you have... Uh, we're going to do a in-depth exploration of the philosophical and psychosocial um, elements, the configurations, the thought, past, present, current, uh, around the concept of social responsibility. Wow, I'm building up a lot of pressure on myself here. Um, does, if I say that you don't have social responsibility, that doesn't mean that it's not good or favorable to help other people. In fact, as we're going to discuss, it might be a psychological necessity. It might be good for yourself, for your for your own self-esteem, for your well-being, uh, to help other people, but not out of responsibility. And I'm going to explain why, and that's confusing because, well, um, maybe if you don't take responsibility, some people will be, you. if you're not willing to take responsibility for other people's stuff, they might get angry at you. Um, so I want to start with a quote that I found in a talk from Osho, the Indian guru. Somewhat, it uh, was interesting because spirituality, I find a lot of people who are spiritual, yeah, that have um, very strong views on what the role of people in society are, that we're here to serve or that um, they might not necessarily have a free market view of the world. They probably find themselves on the left of the political spectrum. Um, but he was asked if people had a social responsibility and he said, no. And he said, and I recommend checking this video out. He said, society has destroyed people in the first place. And then it starts talking about social responsibility. Each child is being destroyed by the society distracted from his nature, distracted from what he's going to be, what existence has meant him to be. First, the society distracts him, disturbs him, and then when he's disturbed, then these great public servants start coming and saying the society has responsibility. This is a very cunning game. First, make a man sick, and then run to fulfill your responsibility, service, duty, humanity, compassion, and bring medicine. Hmm, interesting. Yes, and it is a question uh, that's worth confronting, which is, <coughs> given that this organism um, has the capacity above a certain age to be self-sufficient, to go out into the world and um, make means for providing for its physical needs um, to catch food originally when we were hunter-gatherers or to grow it during the agrarian, agrarian period and into contemporary times to go out and earn a living by voluntary exchange. You notice doing so is actually a social act. To earn a living on a free market is a social act. You go out and you find, you cultivate a skill and you sell that skill to someone who 
is willing to pay for it. They gain something out of that and you gain something in return. Now, Osho sounds like a cross between Ayn Rand and Milton Friedman in that um, because she says that um, she, uh, she says that he says that society uh, basically that you don't have a responsibility as an individual to society and he doesn't go as far as to say society doesn't exist it's made up of us but um, there is the individualist tendency in the quote so um, there's obviously a re now the interesting thing is you can't go on TV and say we don't have any social responsibility um, if there's people starving in Africa it's not my fault that they're starving it's got nothing to do with me I just want to take care of my life and my family and my friends uh, that's a politically incorrect position right it's not acceptable to say that and it's going to be interesting to explore why is it unacceptable to say that when you know we can go back to David Hume you can't derive an ought from an is just because there are starving people in the world what about that makes it your responsibility to to sacrifice your life uh, or your time or your energy or your money or anything to help them particularly if you didn't create the fact that they're starving now that's just basic um uh, David Hume's fork, you know, you can't derive from an opt for an is. I'm not saying you shouldn't help those people, you know. I, I'm just saying what create what gives someone the right to say that you have to, right? That's the that's the relevant question. And one of Ayn Rand's essay, she said, um, never mind about whether you should give a homeless person a dime. The question is whether you have a right to your own life if you decide not to. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's that's more or less what she's saying. Are you obliged to? Are you your bro brother's keeper? Uh, now, is there a time when you were allowed to say that on the television? Like, um, well, you know, I said that it's not your fault that they're starving. Obviously, there's left-wingers who are of the opinion that the only reason that people are poor in third world countries is because of western imperialism colonialism you know we're looting their resources and things like that and if you download my book universal basic income for and against i have a section on free trade where i talk about some of the ways that <clears throat> western policies have been disadvantageous to third world countries but i don't think you can say that it has been on the whole altogether disadvantageous especially since they want you know they want all the stuff that was invented in western countries to bring them um higher standards of living and um, i don't believe that colonialism was a moral thing um feature of the past um but um some people have pointed out that if you look at the countries that are more colonized uh, or were more colonized in the past, they actually seem to be better off in Africa than the countries that were less colonized. Um, there's no counterfactual. What I say is, you know, if we trade, if we, there, there has been a history of Western countries not allowing third world countries to export manufacturing goods to us. Meanwhile, we sell them our manufactured goods while 
importing their raw materials, their resources. You can, and, and some of those resources, those people didn't know what to do with at the time. You know, they, 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 weren't, they didn't have a, um, an Iron Age or something like that. So they didn't know how to make use of some of the resources. But still, um, it's a pretty shoddy game. Um, but I, I fear I digress. What I would say is, on that point, the idea, if anything, it's a lack of free markets that um, are perpetuating um, starvation and poverty to the set extent that it is being perpetuated. I mean, 2015 was the first year in all of history where less than 10% of the world's population was considered in poverty. So things are going in the right direction. Um, the, uh, on the point of social responsibility, um, obviously, we know the left strongly believe that you have a social responsibility to pay taxes. You should pay into the welfare state. It's your duty. Um, whether they'd say you should live your life for society. I mean, I, I basically heard Russell Brand say something like that. But whether that's um, whether if you could go to them and say, do you think someone should be able to choose their own job? Or do you think they should have the job that they're best suited to uh, allocated to them? You know, uh, do you think you, they you, most most leftists? There are some people who believe that, but most leftists have an individual streak where the individualist streak, where they they still say you should be able to choose your profession. The government should support you with money to, in choosing that profession uh, for education. Uh, you should be able to choose your own partner. You should be able to choose your own friends. You shouldn't be so. Most people have an individualist streak. The question is how we widen that streak. But what I want to say is that social responsibility isn't just a left-wing concept. If we go back to the idea of colonialism, on the right, it would have been white man's burden. We have to go abroad and tame these savages and teach them civilization. Um, similarly, on the right, the neocons wanted to spread democracy, or at least they said they did. If we take them on face value, they wanted to make the world safe for democracy so let's go to the middle east and and that, that's about social responsibility when you hear right wingers say things like get a job you beat neck happy um you know these these old cliches that's about social responsibility you're obliged to get a job not because it's good for you but that's what you should do does that mean you wouldn't need to get a job in a libertarian society well you know i don't know you can go and join a buddhist um monastery i guess uh, um the cost of living will be far lower in a libertarian society because as i explain in universal basic income for and against the price of housing less taxes free trade um all of these things will uh, less uh, yeah uh, no federal reserve no central bank to inflate the currency uh, no regulations apart from don't hurt anyone don't frame the stuff so the cost of running a business will be cheaper so products will be cheaper and uh, there'll be more jobs so you uh, if you don't want to work that much you could probably get by uh, only working the minimum amount um for cash in hand in a libertarian society and just work when you need to um as long as you you're willing to live without the luxuries that uh, most of us have become accustomed to and that that would be very hard to do in this society um, if not for the welfare state paying people to do nothing so You'll even hear right right wingers on the internet now. You know, say do your duty uh, for for um, get married and have kids. Do your duty for Western civilization now, right? So that's social responsibility, and they worship the military as well, very much on the right. 
um, on the alt right. Uh, I've I've got I've had contacts who, are, you know, strangely pro-military for people who claim to be against the foreign interventions. They they see military people as uh, very honourable. It's weird because like take away the lens of statism to look through. And I know that the alt-right only pretended to have a libertarian streak, you know, so that they could court libertarians to vote for Trump. But if you take away the glass of the eyeglasses of statism, right? And you take a person who's paid at gunpoint for money confiscated from someone else to go to someone else's country, usually a poor country, and kill and shoot at people, right? What do you call that? That's a hitman uh, at best, you know? And we don't think, they don't think hitmen are, are, are honorable. So it's, it's a weird, uh, and you know, this is gonna, this is triggering to some people what I'm saying here. This is one of the things where, you, you know, even still like it's more controversial than, than some of the things that left wingers can't hear to talk badly of the military. Um, so it's only through the status paradigm that a military man in the current day becomes a hero. But obviously we've evolved from tribal cultures, hence the idea of social responsibility uh, from hunter-gatherers. And, and what I want to say about that, the adulation of the military on the right, is um, it's got biological root to it, okay? So it's not necessarily rational, you know, they're, they're big lovers of patriotism and nationalism. These things aren't rational because if I take you to, uh, you you wouldn't be able to see the border between your state and the neighboring state from space. This is not to say that we shouldn't have border controls, right? I know that's a hot libertarian argument at the moment. That, that, so, that point is secondary. Um, the point is you can't see the border from space. So you get car captured uh, abroad, and someone says, uh, I'm gonna take you in a Jeep so that you can look at your country one last time before we take you to prison, right? And they drive you up in the Jeep and you see your country, the fair hills of your country and you weep. And then you get driven back to the prison camp and they go, oh, uh, oh, we actually hadn't gone far enough that you could see your country over the hills, right? It's not, a ra it's not based on reason, the, fa the faculty to reason. Um, it's, it's not empirically, a country doesn't exist empirically in the world. It's intersubjective, it's psychosocial. It, it's in, uh, in psychosocial terms, it's intersubjective. It's based on consensus, right? But what I'm saying is patriotism, while not, strictly rational has a logic to it it's uh, it's pre-rational it's bio it's because from where our um ancestry came from from you know we we lived in a culture where um that in-group preference is uh, extraordinarily important and it's like um we should respect that, is what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, uh, which is a, what what a lot of people, libertarians and leftists don't say. You know, they're not saying they're saying, "Oh, you're parochial, you're so sad, um, oh, you're so irrational, ha ha ha." Sports is war training, which is true. You know, one of the reasons why they get there, all these sports stars together, and it's your team versus their team. At least traditionally, going back decades, 
is you know to get you into the in-group preference uh, your nation you 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 support your nation's football team or whatever it is right that's preparing that's preparing you for 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 war okay but what i'm saying is we should respect where this stuff came from and because only when you respect it can you understand it that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a view to transcending it because right once you come here as a human being your biology is no longer the central driving force of your life i mean and to the degree that you're not in fight or flight mode at least because which i'm guessing given the kind of childhoods we have in this society a lot of us are to a degree you go you know when you're starving right you're more more driven by your biology when you need to go to the loo when you're too horny when you're whatever you know you might do, make a stupid decision um okay but you have an intelligence that is able to to create discernment and your rational faculty is what makes you uniquely human i hope you guys are enjoying me thinking on the spot here i know i was a little bit wooden at the start but i think i've got into it and um i think that um i'd like to know what your opinions are on these kinds of shows because i, I want to do more of the kind of uh, psychosocial stuff and um uh, I, I'm actually going to be doing a show for The Rational Rise, another YouTube channel, just 10 minutes a week. And these are kind of the topics I want to cover. So I'd, I'd love to get your feedback on this because as a libertarian, there's tons of shows now, you know, there's tons of libertarian shows now. And I think it's really important to, um, for myself as an intellectual to carve out a niche. So I'm kind of glad that you guys are coming on this journey with me of exploring my own ideas uh, and going into new places that other people might ne not necessarily be talking about. Um, so it would be great to get your feedback, even you guys who listen on SoundCloud, come on to YouTube and leave a comment to, to let me know about what you think about shows like these. I like the psychology of statism one, for example. So, okay, so we, we came from this, from tribal cultures, and we've got a biology that's set up to accept the concept of social responsibility, which is probably why you sound incompassionate, even if you go on TV and say, well, you know, Africa's Africa's problem and Europe's Europe's problem or even, or I might, and that's even collectivist, even saying that is collectivist, right? It's seen as parochial. Now, I think it's parochial too, that's what I'm saying. But there needs to be a process of evolution of the mind, of the, 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 the human's capacity, because that's what history has been, you know? If you look at acceptance for homosexuality, okay, in the ancient world, that was normal, but it was actually usually pedestry. Um, and the, uh, that's not acceptable, you know, we've got more consciousness for the individual, it would seem. Um, people have romanticized views of pre-industrial pre revolution societies, or oh, people were all farming and they had community, and yeah, never mind that they were working over 60 hours a week on a farm, couldn't um, afford a musical instrument and stuff like that. half their kids would die, you know, any winter, you don't know if you're going to run out of food, if the harvest is bad, whatever. People have a romanticized view of that, 
but I'm not really sure if that was the reality. I think maybe in some ways people might have been happier just because a they accepted it and they didn't have they didn't look at other people who had more than them and think they could have it too, and b they didn't have so many distractions like um, yeah, uh, entertainment-wise, TV, laptops, um, internet, so that anytime you feel crappy, you just put a podcast on or watch something. Hi, um, uh, and then you distract yourself from your emotions. So I guess maybe they just came to terms with what they were feeling, or you know, it was almost like you'd enter a vegetative, meditative state doing the same thing day after day farming. I don't know. You know, I heard an intellectual say we don't actually know if we're any happier than we were. You know, if people now are any happier than they were. If anyone's got any data on that, I don't know how you collect it. But the point is the mind was relatively primitive and it was kitted out to do the kinds of things that were necessary to do to survive. And if you couldn't do those things, you'd basically die. So part of that was an in-group, a strong in-group preference. So I guess if as libertarians we want to bust onto the scene and say, no, 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 there's no social responsibility one thing we need to do is create a compelling vision of what a society that's lost the idea of social responsibility looks like, right? You don't just want to strip something, go back and strip things away that have been here for hundreds of years or thousands of years and leave nothing in their place. You know, that's what the Enlightenment did. And in many ways, I think the Enlightenment was a great thing, but it has got its dissidents who said, well, look, you fucked it up. You took away religion, and which was people's source of morality, and you gave them nothing. You said that you were going to give them reason, but you didn't. And now um, we've got this postmodernism where anything goes. And I, I disagree that the left are postmodernists and believe that anything goes because they've got very strong views about what's moral and what's not moral. Um, but I mean, so we could go down the rabbit hole. Uh, again, I'm, 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 I'm thinking on my feet, moving from topic to topic. Uh, I, I do want to create um, a compelling, I, I, I'm going to paint, I'm going to talk about why I think social responsibility is a bad concept. And I'm also going to talk about what the alternative to social responsibility is and why it's a good concept. But first, let me restate the philosophical factual grounds for believing that you're, you don't have social responsibility. And that's simply, you can't create an op from an is. And someone will come back and say, well, how do you justify the non-aggression principle? And, that, and that's another big conversation that we could have. I need to know if you guys want me to talk about it. Um, I think the best argument for the non-aggression principle is basically that all other um, moral theories are self-contradictory and um, they are unlivable, like utilitarianism. It's impossible to dedicate your life to the greatest good for the greatest number. I mean, I could do a whole show on that if you want. You need you need to tell me. So, um, so, but but otherwise, right? If you're going to create a moral system that says, well, you start with John Locke, right? John Locke went, well, people are much of a muchness. You know, you guys are all pretty much the same. That's why you have the same rights. Now, you could 
then say, well, John Locke didn't know about psychopaths or something like that. And there's special uh, occasions where people aren't much of a muchness or like someone that's mentally retarded. Okay, fine. You can, you can, you can argue about that. That that's, that that's fair that those are fair arguments let you know put them aside the majority of us well we're much of a muchness a person's much like another person we have the same kind of capacities one's taller one's smaller but we don't have um qualitative differences so therefore there's no reason to think we would have different rights now if you want to say this person is a because they're the state they can tax you and give it take it from you and give it to them well, okay, but who's to say that that's the state rather than that? Who's to say that person's the state rather than that person? What gives? What puts them in that special category? And who who says we can't have we can't all be states? I'm defining myself as the state, so now I'm allowed to tax, right? What it, it makes no sense, right? So so you so so it's more of an argument for consistency uh, that. Uh, because if you want to say, oh, well, the the non-aggression principles BS, right, then you have no right to demand property, the right not to be aggressed against yourself if someone wants to rape you or anything like that. If you say, well, I sh you know, I'm not going to be aggressed against, um, then you basically... Uh, just universalize the principle. People are much, much of a muchness, right? So... And um, when you realize uh, that basically the difference between positive and negative rights, like negative rights, don't do this to someone, like I've got the right not to be aggressed against versus I've got the right to education, which I need to take something from someone else. You can go, well, look, we're all human beings. We all um, use means, human action, human action. Human action is the, the use of scarce means to arrive at preferred ends, as Ludwig von Mises described it. So we're all human beings. We all want to substitute our current situation for one that is better than our current situation. And we do that through action, through using means to arrive at scarce ends. And there is a way for us to all use our limited means to arrive at preferred ends at the same time. And the way that we can do that is through respecting the non-aggression principle. So that's my, and someone could say, well, just because, you know, just because that is true doesn't mean that you ought to. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll have to come back to David Hume and come up with a, uh, Ayn Rand's argument for that is pretty good, which she says that every fact itself, um, every is implies an ought. So if you're in any situation where you're you um want some to achieve some goal, then there is some, something that you ought to do in order to achieve to achieve that goal. And since you can't I'm, I'm actually building on her. These aren't all the things they said. I would say since you can't escape having goals, you know, even if your your goal's meditation to accept the present moment exactly as it is, you're still using the action of acceptance, right? So so um, anyway, this isn't a lecture on moral philosophy, although I think I did a pretty good job, right? So what I'm saying is as soon as you accept that you have a, that someone has a social responsibility, then 
you have the right to force them to do it, right? You have the right to force them to do something about their social responsibility, right? If you want to go up a mountain and become a Buddhist monk and just meditate for your whole life and create bliss inside, sorry, you can't do that. There's too much suffering in the world and it's your job, it's your social responsibility to do something about it. And of course, in those meditative cultures, the first things they do is celibacy and all these things. Reason by it being they're, they're, they're going away from their um, society and they don't want to lean on anyone emotionally or physiologically. So they just don't want to, they want to be the center of their own perception and their intelligence point it inwards. So now as soon as they need their wife around or they're, or they're attached to their kids or, and so there are too many entanglements, right? So you have a responsibility to your kids because that's chosen. You chose to have kids. However, you didn't choose to be born here in a society. So you don't have a responsibility to the society. And people say, well, the society provided you with roads. That's not really an argument. If I neck the neighbor's car and bring it around to your house and say, uh, oh yeah, I brought you a new car. And then you go, eh, oh, look, eh, uh, I wasn't really wanting a car, but like you go, okay, well now you owe me something because I brought you the car. That that argument doesn't work, you know? Um, so so for any uh, without the without the lens of statism which we talk, talked about before which as I've demonstrated is is not states are merely intersubjective and there's not really a justification for their existence i mean most philosophers even political philosophers will fall on pragmatism uh, i don't want to go on all of the arguments for the social contract uh, because you know i'm already in half an hour, and um, I think Michael Humer's got a good video on it. You can you can uh, check that one out. I don't I don't want to best it. I don't think I can best it at the moment. So, uh, or they say, well, you went to government schools. Well, more is the pity because if we come back to Osho's quote at the beginning when he said the society destroys people, one of the first places it destroys people is school. You go to 11, 13 years of mandatory education, the only skills you learn that are transferable are reading, writing, and arithmetic blatantly. They could have taught you to put up your shelves, to make stuff, to create all sorts of things so that when you get out of school, you're used to learning how to create stuff, uh, how to provide for other people, and then you can, um, then you can provide for yourself. Unfortunately, you can't even get a minimum wage job in many cases after this mandatory education system. Plus, you've gone through 11 to 13 years of being told what to do all the time, so you've lost touch with your innate sense of what you want to do and your enthusiasm. Maybe you've had bad learning experiences which have put you off. And uh, My dad told me that once he was in what you call shop class in the United States, and um, he carved, he cut a table, he used the the machine to cut some wood in the wrong way and it was rounded at the end and the teacher gave him a strap for it, gave him the strap for it, beat him for it and that put, and he, he told me he thinks that's maybe why he's never um, really been handy or, or done stuff like that afterwards, right? Now they don't do that with by beating you but they 
just use their words and emotional manipulation and punishments and make you feel guilty if you don't enjoy the class. Try that anywhere else. Try going to, uh, um, you know, the theatre and um, being given into trouble for not finding the play entertaining. It's their job to make the learning entertaining. They're the teachers, right? You're the service user. But that's why the government needs to take it over because, you know, if it was if it was private, if it was all done through um, voluntary interactions, whether they were private schools or charities or community cooperatives or things like that, then they'd have to consider the user. And even if people have wrong ideas of what education should be like and they're sending their kids to bad schools because they think the old way is the good way and they're, they're getting a good education in the bad schools, it'll soon be obvious to everyone that the people who aren't going to the traditional schools have children that are much brighter because you know their schools are teaching them the right way. So the truth will come out if you if you allow the free market to function. Because the amazing thing about the free market is it's like the scientific method on a mass scale. Lots of things get to be tried out, and some things are wrong. But by the constant churning over of trying different things, everyone trying to outcompete everyone else to provide a good service, you arrive at the correct conclusions over time. And it could be this school's doing this well, and that school's doing that well, and a third school comes in and copies the best ideas of both of them. That's what would happen in a free market. So more is the pity that the state forces its shite services down your throat and then says, you've got a social responsibility because as Obama put it, you didn't build that. What would it mean to live in a world without social responsibility? Well, here's the scary thing. It means that society doesn't have any duty towards you either. And it's up to you to build connections with other people. And that means that you have to cultivate your qualities as a human being so that people want to be your friend uh, or your partner. Um, and it means that you have to cultivate your skills so that you can go out and provide value in the free market. The great thing is, without the welfare state paying people to be poor, people would actually feel a fire under their butt to actually have to do it, uh, to actually have to do something with their lives. And because a lot of people are psychologically damaged from their childhoods or whatever and have problems with doing that, there would be all sorts of organizations with really great mental health workers. Some of them would be charities. Some of them would be voluntary. Some of them would just, you know, would be started uh, on the premise of you come here, we'll help sort you out. And then when you are working, you know, you'll get to pay back your debt to us because we trained you out of whatever bad, and I don't know what they'd use. It would be the psychology of the future, whether it would be using NLP, hypnosis. I know a bunch of things that are meant to help. Um, trauma release exercises, EMDR, somatic experiencing. All of these things are in their infancy as, um, well, I mean, this field of psychology is kind of in its infancy. Um, but I think it's been retarded by the welfare state because instead of creating the incentives in society, I mean, you don't want criminals in your society, which means that you can't have tons and tons of people who are completely useless and can't provide for themselves. So whatever was there instead of the police in a libertarian society or alongside the police, 
uh, especially if it was private, right, you want to provide the best service at the best price. So you probably want to prevent crime rather than have to reimburse people because they got robbed or pay out insurance because they got mugged and uh, or, or, any, or had their house broken into or anything like that. So your best bet is to find out which populations are at the greatest risk and see if they can be treated. Um, and, and also, the thing that people don't understand is, like, there's this perception, especially on the left, which is that capitalists need poor people so that they can exploit them. But the truth is, as a capitalist, or people with low skills, I can make more money from an employee that's extraordinarily talented and well-trained than I can from one that doesn't have any skills. I actually have an incentive to go to a poor area and find the least skilled people because they're desperate for an out and train and they'll work long hours or whatever, like and train them up, right? So so actually, but no, I can't because there's a minimum wage law. So I can't prefer to take, oh, well, he's poor, but he wants not to be poor. I can pay him less. He doesn't have overheads. He doesn't have a mortgage. He doesn't have an expensive house. Jeez Louise, he's sleeping in his friend's spare room. So he doesn't have to pay much rent. Okay, well, that means he'll accept a lower wage and he'll get on the job training. And then once he's trained up, he can go and find another job or I'll have to pay him more because if I don't, he'll find another job. Um, or I say, or, or I just go, well, I'm a social enterprise. This is what I specialize in. I specialize in taking poor people without skills because I can pay them the least and, and training them up. Right. It's in my interest to have highly trained staff. The only institution that needs the poor is the state because the state justifies its existence on the existence of the poor. The main thing that people ask you, well, how will poor people get healthcare? How will poor people get education? Back to social responsibility. You've got a responsibility to provide poor people with healthcare and education. That's what the implication is when someone says. So it's scary because uh, um, society without social responsibility means a voluntary society where you have to be able to turn up in the free market and provide value. You can go somewhere and volunteer and they'll put you up maybe, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, like say you're a woman you and you you can go and volunteer in the women's shelter for battered women and they'll maybe give you a room or there'll be lots of organizations that people can volunteer in if, if they're down on their luck where they can learn skills. But so it's not as scary as people think it is. And these things don't exist because of the welfare state, I would argue. Because people want to help other people. It's natural. Empathy is one of the, the drivers of the idea that we have social responsibility, but they turn it into something ugly, which is something that I'm going to get to. People might fear the chaos of it all. I mean, people usually do. If the, if the state was making ball bearings, statists would say, well, without the government, you can't get steering wheels. There would be no steering wheels without the government because as soon as the government does something, they do it one way and people lose all imagination of how it would be without the government doing it. You see, this is the trick. So people can imagine a society with a free education system, even though it would be much, much better than what is. They go, oh, well, what about the religious kids sending their kids to like, I don't know, some school where they don't teach evolution and, you know, 
they'll fall through the cracks. Okay, that's a legitimate concern. Some, some people will fall, uh, fall through the cracks in the short term while the education system optimizes, but not as nearly as many as are falling through the cracks through this education system. It's not a hope. The thing is, if you come from the perspective that we told, talked about earlier, that some people are rich because other people are poor, rather than the perspective which is poverty is the natural state of man and it's wealth that has to be explained, then you're liable to think this that you're liable to think rich people are rich because poor people are poor. Okay, a lot of rich people exploit the state to get rich. We all know that. On a free market, that's not possible. On a free market, you have to provide products and services that other people actually want to buy in order to become rich. Or you, you know, you manage stocks. But the thing is with managing stocks to get rich is you need to have a good guess of which companies are worth investing in and which aren't. And if you're good at guessing that, the reason why those companies are successful is because they're creating stuff that people actually want, which means that you're actually providing a service, right? Another podcast again. But the, the important thing I mean to come to is Adam Smith. It's not through the altruism of the baker that we get bread, right? The quote is, from the Wealth of Nations, you've probably all heard it before. It's not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest, right? So the important thing about this insight from Adam Smith is, this is an, an original idea, and it's not to say that Adam Smith was the first person to have this idea, but he was the first person to popularize it. This is the idea that human interactions, free of force, we'll come back to the NAP, are harmonious. Human, um, human um, when he died, Frederick Bastiat was writing a book called Economic Harmonies, a collection of essays, to demonstrate how interactions between humans were harmonious if they interact in a spirit as tra traders. As Ayn Rand said, um, people should interact with people with dignity and in the spirit of friendship or as traders. So this was an original the prevailing notion was that if someone got rich, it was necessarily at the expense of others. Even Aristotle had that, you know, the, the, the idea uh, of the free market is, you know, you've heard it before, I have a pen, you have a tie, we swap, we're both better off because I prefer the tie to the pen, you prefer the pen to the tie. Easy peasy, right? Some people, then there's some arguments against that, um, externalities, market failure, uh, I explore them to a degree uh, in another, oh, well, look, we, the, the, the best person on it is David Friedman. He's got um, YouTube videos on market failure, right? And, and there, they are, there are plausible good arguments for why it's, even though it's, and I call it a group rationality failure. I didn't call it that first, which is 
uh, that just because, like, let's say the it's not just in the the market, but let's just say um, the what if we are in a battle hundreds of years ago and we're all holding up our spears and there's a charge coming, right? The rational thing for any single one of us to do is to run the fuck away. But the thing is, if we all run away, then we'll just get outrun by the people who are charging us and they'll slaughter all of us. So the best thing we should do together is to all hold up our spears. But what if we get spooked and run? Okay, so that would be a group rationality failure. And the argument against the tie for the pen argument, the plausible argument, is that um, sometimes what's rational for the individual and it might benefit those two individuals is not good for the group. And David, as I say, David Friedman, son of Milton Friedman, has great presentations explaining that that might be true, but it's even worse if you let the government get involved. And another thing is that entrepreneurs are great at finding ways to internalize externalities or to, to find ways to around those group rationality failures and make services out of them. Okay, so that's the short answer, which wasn't that short. So the original idea that in a world where the prevailing notion, and in many cases still is, that if you're rich, you're rich at someone's expense, right? People need to understand that everyone needs to bring value. And if you don't bring value, you ask for charity. And in order to do that, you need to bring gratitude. You can't just go, I'm entitled to it because I'm a member of society. You know, you're a member, well, you're, you know, well, you're a member of society, mate. Like, um, why do I have to pay for the, li like, I quite like the libraries, but why am I forced to play, pay for the library? Well, you're a member of society, mate, right? Okay, well, tell the Jews in Nazi Germany, uh, why do I need to go? Why is it wrong? Why was it wrong for them to have to go to the Nazi concentration camp? I mean, they were part of the society, so the society says they need to go to the concentration camp. Therefore, it's moral. No, that doesn't work. Okay, so I want to go back to Osho because this was, I, I thought I was going to be making this point early on in the podcast, but here we go. You know, I'm just trying to throw as much good stuff at you as possible. And I, I hope you will discuss this podcast with me because come on to YouTube and tell me what you think because I'm going out on a limb here. This is risky, you know. This is my unprocessed material. Um, Osho said, duty is a four-letter dirty word. And I agree. I agree. It's a dirty word, right? And he said, I'm reminded of a small anecdote. One Hindu monk was traveling towards the highest Hindu sacred place, Badri Keshar in the Himalayas. It is a long journey, tedious, and just in front of him, a small girl, not more than 12 or 13 years old, was carrying a boy, fat and heavy. The sannyasin, who was too tired, and just when he was passing the girl, he said to her, my daughter, you must be tired. You're carrying so much weight. And she got angry at him and she said, wait, you're carrying weight. This is my brother. Love is not a responsibility. Love is not a duty. Love is your joy. So out of your love, do whatever you can do, but not out of your Christianity, not out of your ideology, not out of a sense of responsibility. Otherwise, you will never be able to forgive your son and you will never and neither will your son be able to forgive you ever. And this um, reminds me of Jordan Peterson saying, don't let your children do anything that makes you hate them or something like that. 
um, if you do it out of a sense of responsibility saying you'll bill that person duty is a four-letter dirty word never do anything for the sake of duty because you're doing it reluctantly and whomsoever you are doing it for you are humiliating and this reminds me of one of my favorite books one of the best self-help books ever written in terms of pragmatic value nonviolent communication he says if you do something out of a sense of responsibility for someone you'll build them afterwards you'll resent them it will poison you should do it you should find a way to converse with people in a way and it's a very it's funny because a lot of the people into nvc are on the left and they probably believe in social responsibility, but there's a very individualist streak to it in which it says your needs matter and you shouldn't do things out of a sense of duty because you feel you have to. Um, Nonviolent communication, a language of life is the name of the book if you want to get it. So you, if you do think, basically what I'm trying to say is I, I think this idea, responsibility makes things ugly. Like if you had... Um, you were playing doubles in tennis and you pulled your hamstring and you go to hospital and your partner comes in, your tennis partner and says, well, you know, I felt, I didn't really want to come, but I felt as your friend and tennis partner, it was my responsibility. It was my duty to come in and see you in hospital. You wouldn't feel too great about that, right? Do I have, cause I'm a good, good therapist, do I have a duty to a responsibility to counsel people. Now, if I started thinking, now I have often thought, I guess I still probably do psychologically think, uh, which is interesting me, that I have to do some good in the world. I mean, why else am I making this podcast? Um, so maybe something for me to reflect on, but certainly, you know, if the state came along and said, right, we need all hands on deck, you're a, you're a therapist, you know, we're gonna throw, the, it's now your duty to to treat these people. It's like, would I have the same, be able to bring the same passion to my work? So I think, I think importantly, we go back to Adam Smith and that's on the material level, we're saying humans can interact in a way that's mutually beneficial as traders. But psychologically, given that we come from roots that were inherently collectivist and if you gain the disapproval of the tribe you die i mean there are people who psychopaths and there are people who don't seem to feel any responsibility on any level whatsoever but most people i believe this is why i want to take away the idea of responsibility because it's going back to osho's idea of making a contribution from your heart out of empathy out of love out of caringness out of respect for other people's dignity and humanity i think the removal of responsibility of social responsibility actually allows the flourishing of the desire to help without resentment you know people resent paying their taxes people resent being made to share their toy with their little brother i'm sure in the soviet union people resented being um, given jobs that's why they needed to create this fable of your love of you know your duty being for the state to live for the state and on the other hand the right wing your 
when, when when they had the draft, it was your duty to go into the army and they needed to provide people with a psychological incentive to do these things that no one would want to do, to do jobs that no one wanted to do, to go into the military and fight for their feudal lord or their king, right? So they created the psychology of social responsibility, of patriotism, of the afterlife. I'm, I'm not saying that to offend any religious people, for all I know, there is an afterlife. But what I'm saying is the idea of an afterlife has been used to manipulate people politically into doing things that they otherwise may not have wanted to do. So we all have um, psychological needs, um, spiritual needs, which are, you know, relating to our consciousness. And we have um, social needs, which are ones that only other people can meet. And you might remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where he says, you know, you need to, first, you need to meet your physiological needs for food, air, etc. going to the loo, la la la. Then you need to meet your needs for security. You need to feel safe. Once those two are met, then you start caring more about your other um your creativity, self-actualization, helping others and, and so forth. So um, so I think we should be aware and it's important for us to libertarian as libertarians to be making the case that well it's it's a spiritual need. Contribution is a um a need, but when that is forced on people it becomes corrupted and we want to build a voluntary society based on our humanity and we know that when you force your sister to share she hates her parents and she hates you for it right and 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 we know we can get a deep psychological insight into society from just observing how humans interact on a day-to-day -day basis and as libertarians we want to say you know we these are just the rules that everyone accepts in day-to-day -day life you know if you punch kick your friend if you steal their stuff if you defraud fraud them they're not going to want you as a friend if you rape your partner they're not going to want to love you right so we say See if that is true on the individual level. What makes you think that doing it on the social level is not going to be damaging in the same way? And it is because in the middle of America, you've got one culture, the red, red state culture, which is extremely religious, doesn't want abortion, doesn't want gay marriage, um, and is maybe not very libertarian in, in, in many ways. Um, they, but in other ways, they want their own way of life, um, which uh, they want their guns. They don't want their guns being taken away from them, etc. And then you've got the blue states who don't want to go to war in Iraq and Afghanistan, or at least didn't when Bush was in power. And um, they, there's there's also I you know you know the divide between the two cultures, right? And each of those two cultures is trying to ram its way of life down the other culture's throat and it's created the virulent hatred we have seen um 
under the Trump presidency, which is just a bigger version of the virulent hatred between the two sides of what we saw under Bush and to a lesser degree, maybe Obama. It was just because maybe conservatives are less vocal in their hatred of um, of liberals. Well, at least it sounds like this here in Scotland. I, d I don't know the reality of that in the USA. Now, I know there were Republicans who hated the hell out of Obama, but um, you didn't see these same mass movements, right? So we like to say, look, and I think we should say more, look at the individual level, gain insight into what it is to be a human and create a society. Take the individual as your model and start there. See what works, right? You and I, oh, we enjoy playing music together. Let's form a band. Oh, we'll need another musician. Let's get them. Oh, I want help with my coaching business. I'm not good at marketing, wink, wink. Um, oh, you're a marketer, right? Let's form an organization, right? How it's collectivism is a very compelling philosophy because it allows us to believe we can somehow make the world from the top down using our intelligence. But everything that is beautiful is created on the individual level by people grouping together, discovering how they can complement each other, friendships, um, romantic relationships, a family, a charity, a business. Um, everything is built up by individuals. And then you know, maybe our business is going to 20, 30 people. That's seen as more impersonal. Now we're looking for someone to fulfill this job. Let's do job interviews. We need to we need to find the right person. Okay, they seem to do. Um, okay, so so there the removal of social responsibility as a pressure, as a concept, makes way for the organic creation of society through mutual benefit and mutual exchange and taking care of the needy is not done out of responsibility but there's lots of incentives um to do so uh, because you know it's uh, um, I've already talked about them and also out of empathy and kindness because we value the dignity of human beings but we're not being forced to do it we want to choose between charities or organizations who seem to be doing great work already have demonstrated that they can do a great job of helping those people and we can choose between them and donate money to the ones that are doing the best job so that the resources don't get wasted, they go as far as possible. Um, and I just think that, yeah, our needs met on the spiritual level as individuals coming together to form friendships, companionships in society. Uh, when, as we do so, the need to contribute is an innate need that is given expression in our relationships and extends out into the world when we have benign feelings towards others because we are treated with dignity as individuals. Um, and of course, I should mention the extreme of self-neglect will put one in a position where they're in need, you know, so so I, I'm just saying, you know, we've, we've got these cliches in our society. If you're no good to yourself, you're no good to no one else. Put on your own oxygen mask first. 
Um, and and that's because, uh, you know, I think of Jordan Peterson saying, learn to tidy your room because then you learn to pay attention to things and you'll create um, something a bit more harmonious around you. And then as you get better at things like that, if someone in your family dies, then you'll be able to organize the funeral, right? You, you, um, the end at the individual level, developing our capacities, and the free market creates the conditions where people are incentivized to develop their capacities. They become more capable of serving one another and enrich themselves by doing so, because it's not the through the benevolence of the baker that we get bread. So that's my bet i just want to respond to comments um people are less socially responsible when they outsource it to the government absolutely because everyone just goes um it's the government's job it's not my job um hitler says any art that doesn't depict war or naked men is degenerate i don't know if that's uh, actually true but if it is true that's just my point well exemplified thank you for those comments adam smasher John George Stephen, how do you think that morality hole could be filled in the future? Something religion based? If so, can it be put back in now that it's out? Well, you know, I think that religion is more an expression of psychological material that isn't fully. Um, digested into the rational form so it's full of moral intuitions and don't get me wrong that can be more as jordan peterson puts it more true because the reason why it's more true in his way of putting it is because it's the sum of a lot of people's experiences like it's the it's um it's one of the reasons why religion has been such a powerful force throughout humanity, and I don't think it's stupid, is that because the it re, its resonance is pre-logical, and our, our pre-logical apparatus is far more ancient than our logical apparatus. So it's conveying something that feels desperately true on the emotional level, hence its appeal. I do think that morality should be based on reason and can be argued through reason and that doesn't and i think it's like see when you have an intuition right you go someone says i i can't think of an example but what's this um and you just you just answer in a snap and you, you give an answer and they go yeah that's right how, how you you could have arrived at the same lot answer through logic but that would be the long way around you're using a different circuitry in your brain so i think the same you know there's moral intuitions in religion and i, I think that definitely if we're going towards a secular society the functions of religion in terms of giving you way, ways to deal with guilt and all sorts of and to get community they all need to be replaced that was the the arrogance of the enlightenment was not to show the value of religion, I think that obviously separation of church and state, people should be allowed to have any religion they want, but fundamentally people's moral principles are ingested from the society without reasoning. I think that they can be reasoned for, but I think the quickest answer to my question, the most direct answer is that 
coming back to the individual, you need to live ethically and morally and um, demonstrate that that is a value to yourself and other people and be seen by the children to do that, be a good example to children instead of bossing them around and things like that, take an interest in them, uh, show yourself to be moral and you lead by example. And when people are curious, you can talk about these kinds of ideas, the ideas of personal responsibility, individualism, and so and so forth. So that's the short answer. Excellent question, by the way. I mean, the fact that you'd ask someone like me to answer it is quite flattering, you know, that you think I'd have an insight to an answer like that. And maybe it's worth, a, um, maybe I should make it one of those, uh, one of my shows for the mental state for the rational rise, uh, that very question. So... Adam Smasher says, Rand was as good as anyone, don't necessarily need religion, just principle. That's his uh, um, argument for that, that question. Um, yeah, and I definitely recommend Rand if you if you want to have a little chat with me on Facebook. She is so sharp. Like, even if you just watch some of her show appearances, when people ask her challenging questions or try and rile her up, her ability to think on her feet is amazing and she really understands her own ideas. She knows her mind inside out. Not many of us have the capacity to just sit down and figure out what do I really believe? What do I think inside and out? She's She really was one of a kind. And if people don't truly appreciate Rand, they need to get into it, man. I mean, like you don't have to accept all her ideas. I certainly don't accept all her ideas, but just to understand her brilliance, I'm pretty sure she, you know, she had some autism or Asperger's or something like that that gave her a particular kind of mind. And she wasn't a perfect person. She was, I think, susceptible to rages. And at the end, she was running a cult, okay? But that doesn't mean that she didn't come to um, extraordinary insights. Even if you don't agree with everything that she said, um, there's so much to be learned from her way of thinking and you can apply it to your own thinking. And uh, one of the things I loved, I remember hearing Brandon make a presentation on one of her ideas, which was like, um, just on the personal level, rather the political level, where she was saying, this idea of I can do this bad thing because only I know. Like how little do you have to love and admire yourself or care about yourself to go, well, it would be embarrassing if other people knew I did something wrong but the fact that I, only I know makes it fine I mean if anything you should be happier if other people know um uh, you know uh, if you didn't know you know not that other people don't know because it's beneath your dignity to act immorally uh, I'm paraphrasing but you know she has so many powerful like insights like that that really give me pause for thought um, who will build the steering wheel? I thought wheels. I thought that was a good callback from Adam Smasher. So, um, to my my steering wheel analogy. Um, so let's see. Give me liberty. Give me freedom. Not all the red state senates are like that. Hey, Scottish Liberty Podcast. I I know, but I'm I'm talking in I'm talking in broad terms about the way that. America has at least two cultures that are broadly trying to force their culture on one another. Um, and, I, I, um, I, you know, the, the not everyone is like that is really a, a silly argument because, you know, 
whenever you talk about things in broad strokes, people are going to go, not everyone is like that, but I know, but I'm talking in broad strokes, right? What is your thoughts? Well, I know that there are people who follow the Austrian School of Economics and the Chicago School of Economics. I feel like I fall between the two schools. Well, I'm largely speaking in Austrian, as you might have guessed from my quoting Mises early in the podcast. However, there are insights to be gained from the Chicago School as well. And I think that the empirical approach to economics, while um, not the correct one, like rather than the a priori, priorism, the rational form, which is inherent in the Austrian school, um, still has value, even though it's foundationally wrong, it's still going to be good to be able to generate data to prove hypotheses, um, to prove what Austrian economics exists to the extent we can't, not to prove, but to exemplify, to demonstrate it. So we can go to the studies and say, well, look, Austrian economics predicts slower job growth um, if you increase the minimum wage. And right enough, slower job growth did occur. Now, the problem with that is Austrian economics says um, only slower job growth than there would have been otherwise. For all we know, um, a bunch of other things in the, can happen in the economy to make conditions where job growth would go faster. But um, and that's another podcast. So let, let me know what your thoughts on our thoughts are on social responsibility. Let me know what your thoughts are on these uh, psychosocial political podcasts where I'm kind of mixing psychology and anthropology and sociology and economics with politics. Uh, could this be my niche? Is this something that I should be going into exploring more? Uh, please come on YouTube and comment to let me know. Thanks for hanging out, out for 70 minutes. I wanted to finish at 60, but I took 10 minutes of questions. Thank you.